0: My name is Alex Rosa, and I am our family life pastor here at New Life. And I just want to welcome you to service with us today. If this is your first time here. I just want to say thank you so much for deciding to invest some of your morning with us. If you have been here a hundred times, thank you for, or two times, or whatever times, thank you so much for continuing to invest your time with us. We right now are in part two of a series called Loving Your One. In this series, what we're focusing on is loving that lost one in our lives. Whether they're in our family or our friend group or in our workplace or neighborhood, whatever it is, we're talking about how we can go out and share the love of Jesus with them. Pastor Chris kicked us off last week by talking just about how important it is for us to bring the good news of Jesus out into the world. Now, when we hear that, it might make us a little nervous, and that's pretty natural. I will say this, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit that helps whenever I'm talking to people about Jesus, it would be way more hard. It would be way more nerve-wracking, but thankfully we have the Holy Spirit who comes and works through us. And recently I was encouraged by someone saying that it's kind of like, when we're going to tell people about Jesus, it's kind of like being a server at a restaurant. You imagine if you're a waiter or a waitress and a group of maybe powerful or influential or, or wealthy people come in, they sit in your section. Normally, if this was just out and about, you might not just go over to them and just start a conversation. But being their server, you go up with confidence, boldly, because you know that you have the keys to what they want, what they need. You have the menus, you can go get them drinks, and all of that stuff is an avenue that you can help them with And so the same thing is true when we go and tell people about Jesus. We have the keys to what they need and what they want as well. It might be buried down deep, but God has created all of us with a desire to come into a relationship with him. He made us to work best in life when we are working in a relationship with him perfectly. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to start by talking and focusing on that relationship. Because from our relationship with God, everything else works. And so this is one of the most important things. And we know it's one of the most important things because Jesus said so. When Jesus was on this earth, there was this group of religious leaders, and they came to Jesus, and they were trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him to make him say something that they could point to and say, well, see, you're not really the son of God. And so they asked him what was the most important commandment. Now, this, again, was a tricky situation because they would have known the whole Old Testament. That was one of the requirements, if you're a religious leader, to memorize all of it. So they'd have all these commandments in their mind, and they were going to try to trick Jesus into picking one of them. How could you pick one of the things that God had asked you to do or asked all of us to do? But Jesus, in his wisdom, he's the son of God after all, answers this way and is recorded by his disciple Matthew in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. They might have been asking Jesus to pick one of the Ten Commandments after all. We don't know, but the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and they were for all of God's people to know how to interact with him the best way and how to interact with one another. And what Jesus did in his answer is he summarized the first four of the Ten Commandments. The first four are all about loving God. The second set of six are all about loving our neighbor. So Jesus would go on to tell these religious leaders that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's taking all of the laws and he's bringing them down into two things. But the first one he pointed out was to love God. And this was cool, because these religious leaders would have also known that in the book of Deuteronomy, again, because they would have memorized this, it says this, and Jesus really quoted it verbatim, almost. It says Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So not only was Jesus talking about the Ten Commandments, which the very first one is to love God above everything else, everything that claims to be a God, but he was also quoting Deuteronomy. You might have noticed that in Deuteronomy it says strength, where Jesus said mind. We have an account in the book of Luke where Jesus says all four, the the heart, mind, soul, and strength. And no matter which way we're looking at it, these lists were just an emphatic way of saying that we are to love God with everything we are, In every way possible. That's all that it was simply saying. That God wants all of us. And if we're entering into this relationship with God, which is, again, I believe a desire on all of our hearts. We were created to be in this relationship with God. If we want to enter in, we must do it. With everything. In fact, when it says soul, our soul is referring to our mind, our emotions, and our will. So it's really everything that we are. Which brings us to our take-home point. And this is the one point that comes right from God's word, right from Deuteronomy, right from Matthew. And it says, God asks us to love him with our whole beings. He doesn't want us to be halfway in. He wants all of us. Jesus made this abundantly clear when he was talking to his disciple John You see, years after Jesus ascended into heaven after he died and rose again he appeared to his disciple John. And John wrote all these revelations that Jesus gave him down. And then it was written in a book called Revelation. And it was really a letter. And it was talking about what is to come. But it was also information for the churches at that time to know. And through the Holy Spirit, it's something for us to know as well. In fact, it would be circulated, this letter, throughout the different towns and cities. And they would get groupings of Christians together. And they would read it out loud. And there was a specific note in the book of Revelation for the church at Laodicea. And the note goes like this. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I love coffee. I really like hot coffee, and I liked iced coffee, Minus the ice, I just like it cold or I like it hot. I don't like it lukewarm. When the coffee gets lukewarm, I have to make a decision. Do I put ice in it? Do I microwave it? Or do I pitch it? Because when it's lukewarm, it's not very good. People in ancient days would know the value of things that were lukewarm. If they had a religious festival or they had a public sacrifice, they would get together and they would generally serve drinks, either hot drinks or cold drinks. Never lukewarm. In this church at Laodicea, who is getting this note, would have had a special understanding of the value of lukewarm water. You see, Laodicea was surrounded by two different places. On one side, they had Hierapolis, and on the other side, it was Colossae. And in Hierapolis, they had water that was hot. They had these hot springs, and so it was piping hot. And they would send water to Laodicea so that Laodicea had fresh water to drink. But when it got there, it was lukewarm. In Colossae, they had ice-cold water, and they would, too, send water to Laodicea. But when it got there, it was lukewarm. So as the Laodiceans would hear this message, they would not only understand that it was for them because they had this unique understanding of what lukewarm meant, but they would have been convicted with this rebuke because God was saying that they were not all the way in. And this is what God calls us to do. He calls us to be 100% in in our relationship with him, to not be lukewarm. If you've ever maybe interacted with someone that had a bad experience with a Christian, maybe they said that this Christian was, was hateful, or spiteful, or something like that, and it kind of gave a bad name to Christians, a bad name to Jesus. In those instances, what we can think, well, that person was being lukewarm. And that's precisely why Jesus said he doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He wants us to be hot or cold. That's when he has some use for us. But when we're lukewarm, we're just carrying around a title that we're not living into. So God calls us to be all the way in. And this might sound like too much. Honestly, it might sound like too much for God to say he wants all of our beings, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, especially as Americans. As Americans, we don't like to bend our will or our knee to anyone. We don't really like the idea of submission. But it's important for us to know that this isn't a one-side relationship, that God isn't calling us to do something that he isn't willing to do as well. This is not like as if we were in college for three years, and during that time, we pursued the same girl, and you always bought her gifts, and you always said really nice things to you, and she said back, like, "Well, you're just a great guy, Alex, but I don't want to date you over and over, just hypothetically, okay? Uh, You guys never dated. You're lost, Stephanie. You're you're not going to watch this, Um, but if you would, take that. Uh, But it's not that kind of relationship. It's a relationship where two people are in it, together because God is a hundred percent in on our relationship. He has bought in. He showed that with his son. Before we were born, he wanted us to know that God calls us to be all in in a relationship with him because he's all in with us. He desperately wants to be in this relationship. He's created us to be in a relationship with him and so we are called not to be all in and there's no lukewarmness in his love. He's, he's fully invested in our relationship the apostle Paul puts it like this in the church in the letter to the church in Rome. It's Romans five, six, or eleven. He says, "When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners." Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while well, we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. While we were still enemies... While well, we were apart from God and we were in our sin, he made the choice to pursue us. In premarital counseling, my fiance at the time, Rachel, now my wife, were told that most couples think a relationship works when both people are going 50%. If you get 50%, they think you get 100 But Pastor Jim, the pastor that married us, said that's not really how it works. Both people need to be willing to go 100% for that relationship to work as it was designed to work. And so as we see God and we learn about him, we know that he's already 100% in. He died for us. While we were still sinners, he decided to come to this earth to be betrayed and beaten and to be killed so that we could have an avenue to approach him and to join him in this relationship. There's this wonderful song. It's by Hillsong United. It's called Blown Away. It's a very simple song. It's really just a story of Jesus' betrayal, and his ultimate death and his resurrection for us. Just one guy singing with one guitar playing. And at the very end of the song, it always makes me emotional. It says this, what you went through to love me, I'll never understand. What blows my mind away is, you do it all again. Because of God's great love for us, he'd be willing to do it again if that's what it took to join us into relationship with him because there is no ceiling on his love. There's no lid on his love. He loves us with everything and in every possible way. In the Greek language, there's actually four words for love. They have these deep meanings. And as we look at them, we can see that God loves us in all of those ways. It's his desire to love us in all of those ways. There's storge, which is this familial love, a love that a parent has for a child. And when we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're called the children of God because he loves us in this storge way. There's phileo, which is brotherly love, the love you have for your best friend. And we just read in Romans that Jesus Jesus made it possible for us to be called friends of God. There's eros, which is the romantic, intimate love. And God calls us the bride of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves us in this intimate, romantic way. He wants to be completely in relationship with us. And then there's also agape, which is... The big one, unconditional love. And it's the one that makes all the other loves possible. And in the unconditional love of God, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus' disciple, John, told us this in 1 John. It's a beautiful way of telling us how God loves us. He said, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him this is is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I like that John uses the term real love to help us to understand what it truly means for God to love us. You see, I believe he said that because as people, we don't always understand love in the fullness that God intended us to understand it in. Especially in today's day and age, we use the word love to mean a myriad of different things, generally about a feeling of something that makes us happy. But that's not really what love is. Unfortunately, we're not like the Greeks. We don't have four deep words for love. We use the same word for everything. We say, I love my spouse. I love my kids. I love my phone. I love tacos. All of them use the same word, although we know in our hearts, right, that they're different. I had a good experience this week that reminded me of this. I was in my, my room, I was on my phone. My youngest son, Joel, who's two and a half years old, was climbing up the stairs. He was carrying a box for his older brother for some reason. And as he got near the top of the stairs, the box fell and then he fell. Boom, 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 crash at the bottom of the stairs, big cry. I drop my phone. I run to him. I leap down the stairs as quick as I can. I pick him up. He was bruised. He was okay, though. My, my youngest son, Joel, is both clumsy and fearless, which is like the worst possible combination to be healthy all the time. And so he was a little bruised, and I was okay. okay. My wife came over. I, I gave him to, to Rachel, and then we got them ready for bed. Later on that night, I was like, wait a second. Where is my phone? So I went to go find it, and I had dropped it on the hardwood floor, and I picked it up, and the screen was completely shattered. It was all broken. And that moment I realized that if, because I was a little bummed, I've said I'm sure before that I I love my phone, sure. It, It helps me do a bunch of things that are both needed for work and also just games and stuff for fun. But in that moment, I realized that if my son had been found completely broken, I would have been absolutely devastated in a completely different way. There is no comparison for my love for my son and the love that I have for my phone. In no way possible are they even in the same stratosphere, hemisphere, galaxy. I love my son dearly. my phone, I just go and I can get a new one of that. Because one is real love and one really isn't. C.S. Lewis helps me, and I want to impart the wisdom to you today. It helps me understand what real love is. In his book, Mere Christianity, he talks about how being in love is this feeling that we experience. But love is an act of unity that can be strengthened with our will and through habit. And then he goes on in his book to talk about the vows that people make at a wedding ceremony. He says that when you're making these vows, you're not talking about A feeling, you're talking about an act of love. He says this, a promise must be about things that I can do, about actions. No one can promise to go on feeling a certain way. He might as well promise never to have a headache or always to feel hungry. How absurd would it be if we were to make that promise? C.S. Lewis goes on to talk about a fairy tale and how at the end of a fairy tale he says they live happily ever after. But when we read that, we don't perceive that it means that they felt the same way the whole entire time as they felt in the beginning. If we did think that, that we would think that they had something that no one in history has ever had. C.S. Lewis goes on then to ask, would we really want that same feeling of in love the whole entire time we were in marriage? And I thought about that. I remember the early stages of dating Rachel. and I loved that being in love feeling. I loved, I was, I was at work and I would hear from Rachel, she would send me a text that she was having a hard time at school or something and I would leave work early, I'd go buy a present, I'd put it on her, her car on like the, the windshield and then I'd go home and wait for the call and hope really... That, that, that someone didn't steal it and that she would find it and, and be happy with me. Every night it seemed like we would be up for hours and hours just talking on the phone. We'd be exhausted the next day. C.S. Lewis questions why we would want to do that because he says, what would happen to our rest and our work and our relationships and our responsibilities if we constantly lived in that feeling of being in love. And he says that it actually grows into something much deeper. And I see that with my wife. Sure, we don't feel the same way we did in the beginning, but it's much deeper. It's much more important now, this love that we have that we've put into practice, this act of loving over and over. C.S. Lewis says this, but of course ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. A lot of times we feel like if it's not in love, it's not love, but that's just not true. Love in this second sense, love as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in Christian marriages, the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at those moments when they do not like each other. As you love yourself even when you do not like yourself. They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Share that with you because the marriage between a man and a woman that God set up for us to have shows us the love that God wants us to have with him. We can view our relationship with him through the same lens that he set up marriage to be. You see, when we first come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is this excitement that overtakes us. It's euphoric. We we feel completely new. It's because we are a new creation when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And a spirit is born inside of us. That's new. The Holy Spirit comes into us. So there's this excitement that happens when you trust in Jesus. I got to experience this this week with my uncle. My Uncle Mike was diagnosed with cancer earlier in this week, and my dad went and visited him. After he visited, he said, Uncle Mike wants you to come in and talk to him about heaven. And I said, all right, can I come now? And my dad said, no, like he's going to sleep right now, come in the morning. All right, all right. Uh, So I I got there in the morning, and, and we started talking, and he told me that Jesus is Lord. He said, I want him to be, but I'm just so scared that whenever I get to see him, I didn't do enough good things to have entrance into heaven. And I said, man, Uncle Mike, I got some good news for you. That it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. That when we receive this gift of his salvation, it's a free gift. And we get united with him now and forever. And it's so cool because my Uncle Mike, when, I, when I, I came into the hospital room, he has liver cancer and he was completely yellow with jaundice. And he was very frail and hard Um, to understand what he was saying. But we started talking about God and this spirit moved inside him and he got so excited and his voice got louder and he grabbed my hands and squeezed them and asked us to pray together and I could tell it was as visible as it is when the sun is shining, that something spiritual was happening in his life, that he was being filled with the Holy Spirit and joining in this relationship with God. And so we prayed together, we celebrated together, and then he said, all right, I think we're good. Uh, you can send in my sister now. And Michael <laughs> Mike has always been a little blunt, so I said, oh, okay. So I left, and uh, I sent in Aunt Karen, and I, I think of that because as we're talking about this relationship with God, that's a natural feeling when we first come to know him. It's kind of like if we were blind and we first were able to see, the colors would just astonish us everywhere. However, there is a truth that the longer we would continue to see, the more that stuff would kind of normalize and we'd be in the habit of just seeing it. It'd be still cool, but we wouldn't be as shocked as we were at the beginning. Same thing in relation with God the longer we continue in a relationship with him, that first feeling might not be there because we're so used to living as a new creation, as a new person every single day. But that does not mean we're any less in a love relationship with God. Sometimes we might even wake up and say, oh man, I I don't feel like I used to feel with God. So maybe I need to do a certain amount of spiritual things to get back to that level. That's not what God's calling us to do. Remember that love isn't merely a feeling. Real love, true love isn't merely a feeling. It's deep unity maintained by the will and strengthened by habit. So it's enough to know that we wake up every day as a new creation once we trusted him as Lord and Savior, whether we feel it or not. But let us not mistake what love is, because that is still love, even when we're not feeling it. You see, Satan, who is the father of lies, understands that God is love. So one of the things he wants us to do is not understand what love is. Because the further we get from the true meaning of love, the further we get from understanding who God really is. So let's not allow Satan to define love for us. Let us go to God's word and allow him to teach us what love is. And as we look at how God interacts with us, it's important for us to know that love always contains choice and sacrifice. Again, it's this act of unity Jesus showed us this on the cross. He chose us. He chose you and me to be in a relationship with him because he loves us and he sacrificed for us. In every good relationship, there's service and there's sacrifice and there's choice in that. And God has asked us to do the same thing with him, to choose to follow him, to choose to love him. In the book of 1 Corinthians, there's this wonderful passage about what love is. You might have Heard it before at a wedding, and it certainly applies there because it's about two people interacting with each other. It definitely applies for us, how we're supposed to interact with one another. But it also teaches us about who God is because God is love and how we should interact with him and how he interacts with us as well. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. To love God doesn't mean to wake up feeling bubbly every day about what God has called us to do. After all, he calls us to die to ourselves. To love God is to obey what he's called us to do and to live like him, to have that patience and kindness and to not keep records of wrongs when we interact with people. Again, not just when we feel like doing it, but all the time. I got to have an opportunity to live this out during the Christmas season. You see, we celebrated Christmas five different times with different family members, so I won't pinpoint exactly the one that it is in case any of them are watching, so they don't think that it was this one. Um, We were on the way to one of our family gatherings, and before I came, I had a phone call from a family member that frustrated me greatly. I got off the phone. I told my wife, I'm going to say some stuff when we get there. You see... Growing up, there was a tradition that we held close to us as DeRosas. Every year, we'd have at least one huge family fight. And as Italians, that's just what happened. So I was ready and prepared to to kick that off and and celebrate the holidays the right way. Um, But as we were driving, and thankfully we had like 30 minutes to get there, God really convicted me of saying, how many times have I forgiven you? How many times have I given you grace and mercy and not kept a record of wrongs, and you're really going to go and show my love by doing that, by having a bad name for me to your family, the ones in my life? Near the, the time when we got there, I finally said, all right, God, like I will listen to you. I won't say anything, but I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit because if someone says anything else, man, I might be just ready to pounce on that, so please fill me up. See, it's not always easy being a Christian. After all, it's not generally easy. God calls us to die to ourselves and to listen to him. In some ways, that's just very challenging. But even though it's not always easy, it's always best. Because when we do that, when we obey him, and when we listen to what God has said, and we lean into this relationship with God, we get the blessing of being with God, the God of the universe. Thankfully, God empowered me with the Holy Spirit. I didn't say anything stupid that day. And I actually didn't even have the desire to want to. On the way out when I was bringing the presents to the car, I realized what had happened. And I thanked God. I said, God, thank you so much for filling me with your Holy Spirit. And thank you because the whole time I was there, I was understanding, I was aware of God's presence with me. I just knew that he was with me the whole time. And that was an amazing blessing that God was just With me, and I got to experience that relationship with him, and that is the blessing that we seek after. When we love God as he loves us, we go into this relationship with him. Again, he's 100% in already, and he loves us no matter what. But when we 100% love him too, and we're all in, we truly get to experience him the way that he is designed for us to experience him as a friend, and as the bridegroom, and as the father, and as the God who died for you me. So this week, let us lean into that relationship. Let us experience the love of Jesus. And we could do that through our next step, which says, I will invest time with God every day this week. And this probably looks different from all of us, for all of us, and that's perfectly okay. Maybe that's for you waking up early in the morning and doing our Zoom prayer time. Maybe it's doing prayer on your own in the morning or in the evening or while you drive somewhere. Maybe it's after you get off the phone with that family member that made you mad, that's when you invest that time in prayer. Maybe it's reading God's word or listening to it as you drive or listening to a message as you drive or worship music or simply investing some time in silence this week. Saying, God, I just want to feel your presence right now. And he rewarded that with the blessing of his presence. And so let us invest time in the relationship that God created us to enjoy. If you're here today and you've never entered into that relationship with God, I wanna tell you that today is the day to do that. I was so thankful that I got to invest that time with my uncle, I'm so thankful I got to be there when he trusted completely, fully in the love of Jesus. It will be still, it will always be. I know, one of my favorite memories with Uncle Mike. Yesterday I was on the way to visit him again and I got the call from my dad that Uncle Mike passed away. And uh, about a day after I was with him, he went completely unresponsive and then never woke up. And I am in awe of God's timing, the fact that we had this short window that we found out late Tuesday or early Wednesday. I got to see him Thursday, and by Friday you couldn't talk to him anymore. And God orchestrated this, this window of opportunity for us to have this conversation. And I know now that, that Mike is in heaven with God, and he's enjoying the presence of God and that fullness of life every single moment right now. I tell you that right now, not to scare you, but just to remind us that we have no idea what tomorrow holds. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'll wait until that moment of my death, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. So today, if you've never trusted in Jesus, receive the blessing. And it is a blessing of knowing him. It's a blessing of walking with him on this earth. And we get the blessing of going through all of existence, all of eternity with him as well. If you've never trusted in Jesus, let me tell you, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, we first start by admitting. We admit that we're sinners, that we fall short of God's perfect standard, and that we need him to save us from our sin and death. B, we believe. We believe in Jesus as Lord, meaning our owner, our God, and our Savior, our rescuer from sin and death and we confess. We confess those sins, and then we commit to living life not by ourselves, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the amazing thing as we're talking about this loving our one. We don't go by ourselves; We go with the Holy Spirit. In every step, every day, every conversation, we can go with the God of the universe in that relationship that changes lives still today. So if you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray. And I encourage you to to pray alongside me. I'm going to pray as if I were you, but please make the words your own and talk to the God of the universe. He wants to talk with you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for being in the room right now, for creating, loving us, and desiring to be in a relationship with us. God, I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that right now they'll say this prayer alongside me. Say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God. And that your son, Jesus, came into this earth, died, and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Make me a new creation and make my spirit alive today. Holy Spirit, fill me up today and every day pray this in Jesus' name. And dear God, I pray for all of us, no matter what it is that we are gonna do this week, be with us and help us to know your presence. Help us to be aware of the fact that you're here. When that thing happens that we might attribute to a coincidence, that's really you, God, I pray that you make us aware of that. Let us know how you're working in our lives and in the lives around us. We know you are. We love you, we thank you. pray this in Jesus' name, amen.